gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, I want to talk about upland. Specifically, I want to talk about pheasant hunting in upland. Too often, I forget my upland buddies and don't talk about it on our podcast. So I thought today's the day. I thought I would give the idea and experience of hunting out west when you're hunting on truly wild birds, which I've had the fortune to do on a number of times. So going on an upland hunt when you're going out to somewhere like Kansas or South Dakota, it is very cool. The fields, CRP fields, are huge. I mean, you're talking miles wide and not just a skinny field, but miles wide in both directions. How do you hunt it? What do you do? A lot of it comes down to being very similar to how you uh, do your, your upland hunting or your waterfowl hunting where you have to scout. Scouting is important in upland. At least scouting in the sense that you're looking to see that there's a food source for the birds and that there's cover for the birds. When you get into the CRP fields, and for people that don't know, CRP field is a government program where it is set aside and not farmed. And it is something that generally uh, the public will have access to so that they can hunt out uh, for for ducks and and for, uh, for pheasants. It's usually your less productive land on a farm, but that less productive land always will have that much more for the birds because it's got heavy cover. So you get in these CRP fields and they are just gigantic. You're looking out and you're thinking, my gosh, how do I hunt this? And with a lot of people when they hunt these, they'll have large groups of people. You have people that are walking and pushing with their dogs. But you also will have people that are called blockers, which a blocker is someone that either stands in the middle of the field or at the end of the field so that the birds just don't run out and have the pushing people with the dogs not even get a shot at them. What happens on some of these fields is the classic out west scenario where you're pushing the birds. You're in a cornfield or you're in one of these CRP fields and you're going along and you've got a few birds that come up. You hear everyone yell, hen. Ah, you can't shoot those. Still exciting. Hen. Every once in a while you hear rooster and everyone shoots and you get the bird. But when you get where you can now see the blockers, one, safety has to come into, into play. You have to make sure that you're safe and realize these are people standing down there and you have a gun. Don't shoot into your blockers and they can't shoot into you. But once you get to a point and the birds start to go up, it will be very similar to just cataclysmic explosion of the field where you've got hen, hen, and all of a sudden rooster, 
and you're shooting at that, and your rooster to the left, and you shoot over there, rooster to the right, and you have birds that are just popping up over and over again. It is so incredibly much fun when you have this classic out west explosion of birds, and you have to have it with blockers. If you try to hunt these fields without blockers, what will happen is you'll see the birds coming out the end of the field at 200 yards, and you're going, my gosh, we didn't get a shot at any of them. The birds are smart. They are fast. A pheasant can run, I believe, over 20 miles an hour. And you have to keep your dogs in range so that you get shots at these birds. So it is something that um, is really, everyone should get to experience it. Wild birds are very different from what I call pen check to release birds. Often, you will see people that haven't hunted real, truly wild birds get out of the vehicle and they'll slam their car door and all of a sudden you see birds going up over and over and over again. I still remember on one trip filming, it was in South Dakota, I told my cameraman, the first flush is gonna be perfect. It's gonna be something we can use in the opening of the show for this season. I know it's gonna be, I know there's a lot of birds in here from what they told me, do not film me film the first flush and we got done and just like I thought 100 birds came up it was so cool they actually flew into this line of trees and looked like they disappeared I looked back and he was filming my feet I was not happy with the cameraman at that point I had some very choice words uh, because he missed what was the the best I guess framed shot of that trip but you will see people that have not hunted wild birds and they will start slamming their car doors and talking and not ready when in essence you park down the road not right at the field and you make sure that when you hit that field you are ready to go you make sure that you have a plan you have things lined up you have to have one person that kind of takes charge and gets the field set and sets where the blockers are going to be where the people are going to be with the dogs uh, there are times if you have enough people, you'll put a wing out on the end that walks forward a little bit to somewhat corral the birds so that they're coming up in the middle of the field. Having this setup and having this experience, you have to go out west. I have yet to see it in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, they are all release birds and they are just not as wily and do not act the same as uh, wild birds do out west. But if you want to go on a fun hunt, you need to book that and go. Again, back to scouting. If you don't have someone that's from there, you need to look at your food sources. And if you can find a CRP field that is near a field that's harvested or that has a crop that the birds can go in and pick by themselves, have that. Realize that in the mornings, the birds will probably be in the heavier cover and then as the day goes on, they're going to migrate over to where uh, the food is. And have an idea of how you want to hunt things. Have it set up so that you're being tactical in your setup so that you're not uh, losing birds. And then again, when you're hitting the field, be ready to go. Have water along for your dogs. Have water along for yourself. Realize that you can't just pound and pound and pound. You have to take breaks for the hunters as well as the dogs. One question I often get is uh, people that are going to go on a hunting trip like this, they'll ask, how many days should I hunt? And I, my, my question is always, how many dogs are you bringing? And usually 
it will be one or two dogs. And I will tell them I would not be in the field for more than three days. And guys will be upset at that. They're like, I really, I want to go more. I want to be able to go out and hunt five days. And it's not about your ability to hunt. It's your dog. When these dogs are out in the field, their face is in the cover. So as they're running through this, their co- the cover, it will give them abrasions and eventually older dogs gives them scar tissue. So you end up with a dog that is actually bleeding when they come out. Now the dog's having fun. The dog is not worried at all about having a few scars because, you know, female dogs, they dig scars. Not sorry, bad joke. But they don't care. So you have to be smart for your dog. You have to be smart for them so that the sores that they're getting do not get worse. And when you're talking about three days being the max that you're going to go on a hunt, your dogs at the end of three days are going to be really beat up. It is going to be difficult on them. I remember back to a hunt I filmed in Montana. We were in north central Montana uh, hunting upland. We went the first morning and I had my three really heavy hitter dogs that were just my go dogs. They were my upland masters, Rommel, uh, Pickett, and gosh, I can't even remember the other dog. I believe it was uh, Tori. And after the first morning, Rommel's eyes were so tore up because there it was different. There was woody, thorny brush that had that had that had uh, spikes on it. And Rommel got into that and he tore up his eyes something fierce because he had a lot of scar tissue because he had hunted a lot. Uh, Pickett hurt his shoulder, uh, sprained his shoulder because it was a very rocky terrain. And Tori, I believe she had something go into her nose that we had to pull out that, that, that made it where she couldn't hunt the next day. And here I'm on this trip where we're going to hunt three days. I'm down three dogs, three dogs in my first morning. Now I still used Rommel on Hungarian partridge areas because they were just light grass and it wasn't that heavy, uh, thorny, woody cover. Uh, Tori was fine the next day and Pickett. We hunted for a few hours every day, uh, unless it got to the point where his uh, his uh, uh, shoulder looked like it was acting up. But I, if I remember back, that was quite a few years ago. I think he was pretty much good the rest of the time, but I limited the amount of time he hunted because I didn't want to put him in a position where he would be injured. The two dogs I had left were my house dogs. I had my female Dixie and my female Lucy. Now, I brought those two dogs because... I didn't want to leave them home. And I figured, well, it'll be cool. I'll take them along. They'll get to see Montana. But I really had no intention on hunting them because, again, the focus of my trip were these three dogs that I took out to begin with. And it was funny because Dixie had had surgery three weeks earlier on her mouth. She had an area up that, had, that, that needed to be stitched. So I wasn't going to hunt her. And Lucy, truth be told, was not very trained she was my kid's dog. But the episode ended up being all about them, and they were just stars uh, on those episodes. They, they both performed well. Uh, they were durable, durable uh, far beyond the other dogs. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was lucky I brought them because otherwise it would have been uh, Sporting Jeff Adventures where I would have been uh, running around the cover trying to flush birds for everybody and then fetching them. But again, plan a trip out west, have that classic flush at some point so you can come back to me and tell me what a wonderful experience it was 
And also make sure that you have care products for your dogs and make sure you watch your dogs. You want to make sure that they are safe. You want to have their best interest in mind. No bird is worth losing one of our dogs. So that's the end of today's training tip. We're going to actually, or this the end of today's uh, story. We're going to actually do our training tip next. And our training tip is going to focus on something you can do for obedience to get your dogs ready for the upcoming season. Stay tuned for that right after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. I often struggle with trying to give people drills to explain how simple obedience can be. And I thought of a good one today when I was talking to someone that had an issue with their dog breaking uh, before they went out on the retrieve. (coughs) And they were asking if they needed to come over to work at our pond or if they needed to find another piece of water that was similar to what they were hunting or a property to train on. And the more I thought of it, the more I thought of how simple training can be at times. And I gave them a drill that worked out well for them. I said, you know what, just get a frozen bird. Get the dog excited about it, really jack them up, and just throw the bird 15 yards in front of them. Hand throw it, dogs at heel, and make them sit there. Count to 10. Release the dog in their name. Why do we release a dog on their name? Well, you don't use fetch because if you have multiple dogs along and everyone used fetch, they would all go. You release them on their name because that is going to be unique and a release that's unique that other dogs aren't going to have the same name as theirs. Now, you could have a guy that is buddies with you that has the same name dog. Try to avoid that. Maybe tell him, hey, how about we name our dog something different? But I have yet to come across that. So, You can do a great obedience training with your dog in your yard, 10 to 15 yard a hand thrown mark, just keeping the dog sitting at heel and then releasing him on on his name. You can get to the point where you throw it five yards in front of you, five feet in front of you. Again, it's not about the retrieve. It's about the control and keeping the dog so that they are at heel and they understand complicitly that they cannot leave until they hear that release command, which again is their name. So I hope that helps with a quick training tip with the season upon us. It's something we can all work on with our dogs at least once, twice, or three times a week, even every day. You can do it in the comfort of your own yard. You can do it with a bumper, and you can do it with a bird. I like to use birds because it just raises that level of excitement. I hope that helps you. Stay tuned next for our hunting tip, which is all about upland. Up next after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. When you're getting your dog into upland hunting, they need birds. They need lots of birds to understand what they're doing out in the field and understand that it's a fun job that they get to do. I've had several times where clients have taken dogs home from training and the dogs were trained to a gun dog level, but yet had not experienced hunting. And they called and they were very dismayed because the dog, after about a half hour, gave up. Questioning further, they told me that they were hunting at a public hunting ground. I asked them how many birds they saw. It was zero. How many birds they heard shot at? It was zero. And how many birds anyone else saw, which was zero. 
you have to make it at least for the first season or two where the dogs understand that this is a fun game to get them to want to actually run around and hunt hard for the whole day. So if you can, buy yourself some birds that you can release on a property. I like chuckers because they don't run as fast. They fly well, but they do move, so the dogs do have to track them. You can join a hunt club. You just want to make sure that these dogs are on birds and that they're getting experience so that they can turn around and really understand why they need to run so hard in the field. I hope that helps for this week's training tip for Upland. Thank you so much for listening to our show this week. Have a great week. God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun.